Welcome, this is Lisa, where we go inside addiction to raise your level of consciousness. I didn't think my mind was causing it, it just, it, it began with all of these physical symptoms where I just felt awful. I just started having these back-to-back panic attacks and for me, yeah, Stoicism, Buddhism, growth mindset, CBT, these are things that spoke to me and I found very helpful. And I love the idea of, uh, yeah, some of these Stoics, they used to do some crazy things. And there was one guy called Cato, and he would deliberately dress differently. Um, because it's quite simple, you just eat something that you find disgusting. But you pay attention to what your mind does, because there's that mental resistance to it. I think it was really helpful when I first started experiencing anxiety. And that's when it really, really helps me, just using logic to talk myself out of panic. Yeah, and I think one thing that really um, like summarises that and that, a story that stuck out from the book was Feeding the Right Wolf. And I just wondered if you could tell our audience a bit about what Feeding the Right Wolf is. Something, at least some idea that you can lean on is better than nothing. I, I'm very interested in the practical advice that Buddhism offers. And... Before we get into the show, I just wanted to let you know I'm here to help you on your journey to getting your drink and drug use under control. So you can book an assessment that will allow you to have the space to assess your current situation with a trained professional and create a plan to get your life back on track. You can have a look and we can discuss our 12 week program that creates lasting change and allows you to create a life of more fulfillment and happiness. Or you can discover the empowering benefits of counselling. Just go to insideaddiction.co.uk forward slash grow. Now, back to the show. Welcome, Ben, to Lisa Inside Addiction, the podcast where we go inside addiction to raise our audience's level of consciousness. Now, you've just released your new awesome book, which I've read, called How to Be Uncomfortable with Being How to Be Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable: Forty Two Weird and Wonderful Ways to Build a Strong, Resilient Mindset. Now, the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast and I thought it was so amazing is because when we're in addiction or supporting someone who's in addiction, we find ourselves dealing with a lot of emotions, whether that's anxiety, whether the addict is out drinking and what's happening or whether we're just uncertain about the future, can we change our behaviour, what's going on? So I just wanted to kind of start by getting your sort of overview of anxiety, what your experience with your emotions and building up those emotions was like for you and how it kind of yeah, it came about. Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Luke. It's great to be here and chatting to you. And um, so my journey has been based off the back of anxiety, really. My book explores a lot of the themes um, within the mental health and main, mainly anxiety, because that's been the catalyst uh, for this whole project. And the main reason for me writing this book, uh, I experienced severe and debilitating anxiety a couple of years ago it just hit me out of the blue and I didn't have any tools or tricks to deal with that so it really it was a really intense period of my life and what I had to do was try and figure out a way of dealing with that and I started reading extensively and this is where I came across a lot of philosophy and ideas that I talk about and Ultimately, this is what changed everything for me, getting in place a system to deal with that. And there's been loads of things that have influenced me. Uh, The main one probably is Stoicism. And uh, this is an ancient Greek philosophy that talks about building a resilient character. And the Stoics used to do all of these different things 
to build resilience. And I love this idea, it really resonated with me. So, uh, for instance, the Stoics will challenge themselves to sleep on the floor, or they'll expose themselves to the cold or the heat. And I love this. They do this to build resilience and build character. And I, I thought this idea was very helpful and very interesting. So I started to explore it. And actually, as I started to push myself and test myself and kind of counterintuitively lean into my anxiety, I started to get like feedback and it was working and there was progress and I could see that my life had started to change. And then I ended up doing all of these crazy challenges, which I write about in the book. And it really helped me to turn that whole situation around, that negative, what I perceived originally to be quite a negative event became um, very defining moment in my life. And it's taught me a lot about myself and how to manage all of these really difficult emotions. And I guess the whole project has been very practical. Um, so yeah, it's been, been quite a journey. Yeah. And like I say, the practicality is awesome, but I'm wondering how was it for you in terms of acceptance? You're experiencing all of these emotions. How did you kind of come to terms with the fact that there was even a problem in the first place? There was kind of in some kind of denial, nothing's wrong with me. And then how did you get to that level of acceptance? Um, yeah, I think at first I didn't think there was, I didn't think my mind was causing it. It just, it, it began with all of these physical symptoms where I just felt awful. I just started having back-to-back -back panic attacks and I didn't know what a panic attack was. So I just honestly thought I was dying. Um, your heart's racing, there's this underlying fear um, and your adrenaline is just through the roof. You're just constantly uh, feeling scared. And I thought it was a physical illness and I was, I, I was convinced that it wasn't to do with my mind. But it just got so bad. The physical symptoms got so overwhelming that I had to do something about it. Uh, and that's when I went to see the doctor who instantly recognized it as anxiety. And I guess there was a bit of resistance there to the fact that actually this could be coming from my mind. But when I actually paid attention and started to read about mental health and explore it in all of these books that I started to um, you know, take information from, I realized that, yeah, this is actually coming from my mind. And that was the moment, I think, that I had to accept it to learn to deal with it and how I can move forward. Yeah, yeah, and like you say, that kind of acceptance and then moving into that process of, you know, learning all of these skills, doing the research. And one quote that I actually saved from your books, I thought it was just so cool, is you said it starts with practical con practical concepts and ends with challenges. It starts with ancient Greece and ends up with you in a bath cursing me, in an ice bath cursing me. I just thought that was so funny and I just imagined myself one day sitting in an ice bath and genuinely cursing you, I'm like, for fuck's yeah. sake, Ben. Um, <laughs> and I just thought that was so brilliant. And like you say, stoicism is amazing. And one of the things I think our audience, and especially uh, like addicts in recovery and family members of addicts, can learn from stoicism is we generally want things instantly. We want that instant gratification. We want to solve those emotions. We don't like discomfort. And stoicism really taught me and gave me the permission to sort of learn to deal with uncomfortable, uh, like uncomfortable situations, be able to sit in that sort of not necessarily wallowing in pain, but just sitting in that uncomfortableness and realizing that's okay. I don't need to go and use drugs. I don't need to change how I feel. It's okay to feel like that. And 
Yeah, another quote I love from your book about Stoicism is that you said, I see Seneca as a Roman Oprah, and I just found that hilarious as well, because I just imagined Oprah in a Roman costume, and that just made me chuckle. So I just wondered, yeah, what your thoughts were on kind of Stoicism, and if you could just introduce it a bit to our audience. Yeah, sure. Um, I think those, yeah, those quotes are, are interesting, because it is, it's, it's the practical side of things that I, I love. Um, because these ideas are really, really interesting, very pragmatic. And what I like about it is that we can apply it to life. And that's, for me, that's the most important thing. You can read in textbooks what you need to do, but unless you're practicing it, unless you're using it in real life settings, um, I think it, it doesn't have as much impact. We learn so much more when we're hands on with the experience. So, yeah, the ice bath thing is like, it's actually very uncomfortable to be sat in an ice bath. So you're having to use all of these um, tools and tricks and you've got to kind of deal with that discomfort. So I think the Stoics, they, they used to do lots of different things. There's loads of ideas within Stoicism that can be very helpful. For me, the, the thing that I really latched onto was their idea of practicing adversity. And, and like I said earlier, they, they would sleep on the floor, expose themselves to the cold and the heat, and they would do all of these things. They would fast from food and water and it was this deliberate discomfort that would train them for when they eventually, well, inevitably, we all are going to face um, the unknown and we're going to face discomfort and challenges in life. So by deliberately seeking them out, we're preparing ourselves for that. And we learn what works for us and what doesn't. And the more times we do this, the better we get at doing it. And that's, the, that's one element of stoicism. And I really love that because... You can use that in so many different contexts and you can go off and start pushing yourself in different ways and, and you can have a lot of fun with it. And I love the idea of, uh, yeah, some of these Stoics, they used to do some crazy things. And there was one guy called Cato and he would deliberately dress differently. Well, I guess like an idiot so that he could draw attention to himself so he can practice feeling shame and so he can practice feeling embarrassed and deal with those emotions. So it's stepping outside of his comfort zone, deliberately seeking out um, that kind of situation, which uh, that really just caught my imagination. So that's what I lean into with stoicism, I think. Yeah. And what are some of the funniest things you've worn in public or that you've kind of tried to implement from stoicism? Um, so, OK, the, sim the simple one, which I think your audience can do very easy. You just dress inappropriately for the weather. So if it's really, really cold, if you go out in shorts, maybe a vest and flip-flops or just something very skimpy, and not only are you having to face the cold, which is, you know, you're practicing discomfort, you're also going to feel like an idiot because everyone will start looking at you. So I've, I've done that. I've got some interesting hats as well, um, which uh, it's just a nice way to play around with that. And I'm an introvert, so... This is even harder for me because I hate uh, being the centre of attention and, and when people, lots of people focusing on that and I guess that as an introvert it kind of makes it a little bit harder, in my opinion anyway. So that, uh, I guess those are some of the things that you can do. And the opposite as well, if it's really hot, um, you can go out in like full ski jacket and winter kit um, just to practice that. And the more you practice, the better you are, you know, you're more equipped for the times in the future where you have to face adversity. And this is just a fun exercise, but I believe that the more you do these different things, they compound over time. Uh, and the more you practice this concept, the more it becomes, 
available to you, the, the ideas that you've tested out, they become available to you when you're actually in a challenging situation. Yeah, yeah, and like you say, I love the idea of practice, and this is something that I do with my clients as a counsellor, is kind of that exposure therapy, is learning to build, like dig the well before you need it in a sense, learning those little tools to build, like you say, wearing the hat, dressing appropriate for the weather, doing those kind of things, build your mental resilience, build your ability to deal with uncomfortable situations. And then when there's a big life event, like life all throws at us, like debilitating anxiety um, or any kind of emotion, even once we've put down the drink and drugs, it can be hard to deal with those emotions. Even on a daily basis, you know, you and I have emotions that come up all the time and that will exist for the rest of our life. And by training in these kind of low stake environments, in a sense, and building those up, because I know you've got some really hard challenges as well. Um, you just climb Mount Everest on your stairs, for example. But um, by starting off with those low stake environments, it can help you build that mental resilience for times when you need it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's the key, really. And it should be fun. I think this this whole process can be um, very addictive, getting into this self-improvement space and, and pushing yourself and and seeing what systems work and I do believe in the fun side of it because it should be it should challenge you but it should also be an enjoyable process and although I've had lots of challenges that have really pushed me I've really enjoyed this whole process and I've been learning so much and the key thing is as long as you're learning and it is a controlled environment so that ultimately yeah you're right when you face something in life and you get a curveball you have a few tools and the other option is if you, if you don't have anything in the toolbox, it becomes very difficult to deal with that event. And obviously that event's still going to be difficult for people who have tools and tricks to deal with it. We're not taking away from the event, but it's preparing ourselves uh, for that in whatever way. And personally, I think something, at least some idea that you can lean on is better than nothing. Um, when I had anxiety, when I was hit with all of that, I didn't have anything in place, no ideas that would help me no tools or tricks so that was why it was uh, so disabling at the time i just want to take a quick break to let you know i'm here to help you on your journey through recovery so if you need any extra help or support you can just go to insideaddiction.co.uk forward slash grow and get in touch and book your free assessment where we can talk and discuss how we can move your life forward and take things to the next level i hope to hear from you soon and I wish you well on your journey through recovery. Now, back to the show. I think. Yeah, yeah. And like you say, it can be dis- uh, yeah, debilitating if you don't have those kind of tools and it's good to build them. Um, but I did mention, yeah, you climbing Mount Everest on your stairs. How did that even come about? That just seemed bonkers. Just tell us the story. Well, that was, um, that was a challenge during lockdown. Um, it felt like it was... Uh, it was very difficult at the time to go out. You, you're very limited in what you can do with exercise. You weren't allowed out for more than an hour at a time in the UK. So um, I wanted to look for ways that I could push myself. And I'm a climber, so I'm into mountaineering anyway. And I just thought the idea of climbing out, I, I measured my stairs and I thought, actually, this, this could be quite a fun challenge. And actually, it's going to take a while. So I did some maths and ended up calculating that I'd need to go up and down my stairs uh, 2,137 times and that would be the equivalent height of going up Everest and down Everest and I kind of just I just started doing it and posted a picture on Instagram and actually the feedback and suddenly there's a a social accountability 
um, it was one of those things that I just kind of casually started doing it. Uh, I thought it was funny, and then I kind of committed to it by putting it online, and then it actually turned into a really nice journey. It took eight days to do. It was about three hours a day. In total, it was 21 hours of going up and down my stairs. And my girlfriend sat on the, the table. The, the, she's working from home at the moment. So she sat on the dining room table just working away. And then I'm just going up and down, repping on the stairs and just driving her mad. <laughs> uh, and then it just got to the point where it's very mental because it's so boring. Uh, you're obviously this, you're not outdoors. You don't have these incredible views and there's no technicality to it. It's just repetitive and, and actually exploring you know how my mind deals with that was something that I enjoyed and actually the other side was you know having a bit of fun and on the final day um, I got kitted up in the, my full mountaineering kit and there's this altitude mask which is some people think it's controversial but it's basically this mask you put on your face and it restricts the flow of oxygen into your lungs so it makes it harder to breathe it's supposed to simulate being at altitude where everything's harder um, so I put this on for the last day and did the climb with that. And that was just, uh, again, it's just stupid. It's a bit of fun. But, it, um, yeah, it was, it was a, an interesting experience. And a lot of people really have uh, enjoyed that challenge in particular. And so I've managed to get some virtual climbing partners, in fact. Uh, some people have done the challenge as well. So um, I think Chris Bonington is actually doing it at the moment. And he's a famous mountaineer. So it's, it's awesome to see all these different people doing these virtual events and there's loads of people who've uh, got into that indoor yeah. mountaineering. Yeah. So. yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And yeah, I just found it fascinating and well done for doing it. It's like an amazing yeah. challenge to actually complete. Um, and an interesting thing I saw was the photos of your stairs, which I'll put on the screen now. And if you're listening, they were just like black one day. They were just nice. And the next day they, or after the week, they were just black. I mean, it was just so fascinating to see the actual hard work that you put in. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, do you know what? There was? There, <laughs> this is quite funny because I posted, uh, and actually I got a lot of uh, feedback from this. I posted a picture of my stairs. And then I went online and I found a picture of some stairs that were like really knackered and really destroyed and pretended that they were my stairs. Because all I got when I first said that I was doing this uh, challenge, just constant messages about my stairs. Oh, my stairs are going to be ruined. Your carpet's going to be ruined. People were more worried about my stairs than anything else. It was just the level of concern for my carpet was insane. So, um, yeah, I thought I'd play on that, so I did this. Um, yeah, the first post was a picture of my stairs, and then I found this uh, this picture of some battered stairs, and yeah, the reaction was hilarious. So many people were very were convinced that this is what happened. So yeah. it's obviously done the job. Yeah, and like you say, people often when there's challenges, they get caught up in the minutia, in the details. Or oh, what about your stairs? And then there's some there's some group of people that are like, I'm going to do this challenge. This is awesome. They don't even consider the stairs because they're just yeah. doing it. And how do you find those groups of people from your audience of people who actually take action and do stuff versus the people that sit there complaining about you know your stairs or worrying about your stairs? Yeah. I mean, how do you kind of feel about the difference of the people who yeah it's sort of sit back and just moan versus the people who take action? Well, I think what I've noticed though since the book the book came out at the start of June. And what I've really enjoyed is getting a lot of feedback from readers, get pictures, 
like, oh, I've just made myself a, um, an ice bath or I'm getting in the cold shower. The Rubik's Cube is something that people really like as well. So I get lots of pictures of people with a, a fresh Rubik's Cube and uh, learning how to solve that. So I feel that I get a lot of, um, that's the kind of thing that comes my way, the, the people sharing their experiences. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, I see what you mean about people focusing on maybe the wrong aspects of it, but I personally had the feedback has always been, oh, I've done this. So yeah. it, I, I like to focus on that side of things. Yeah. And like you say, some of the things that may kind of separate those people is that self-talk and that sort of mindfulness. And like you say, when you were doing it, actually managing your mind of being inside, being like sort of constrained, doing the stairs over 2,000 times, so repetitive. Um, how did you kind of manage your own self-talk um, yeah, in your own mind? I think that's probably because I've done a lot of long distance running. I do lots of marathons and that didn't come naturally. That was like off the back of this anxiety I got into running and pushing myself and the marathon is a great way to But the more you do that kind of that kind of thing, I think you get used to that plod, the slow plod and actually the endurance where you just kind of disconnect and uh, you just settle into a, I maybe wouldn't say meditative state because you're still, um, there's still a lot of thoughts going on, but I guess it's just disconnecting from the, the physical sensations a bit and you can kind of put your head into a slightly different space, uh, um, which found has helped me with the more endurance-based and physical challenges, I think that's uh, that's helps being able to just kind of go into that space, which which happens through I guess experience. The more you do it, the more confident you get, and you can kind of just you know shift your mind a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And like you say, that sense of kind of practice um, and you know building that mental resilience. And another thing you wrote in your book was about kind of Buddhism and you did some awesome golden rules. And the golden rule for Buddhism was our mind is the source, uh, our mind is the source of our suffering. Now, I wonder what your view is on Buddhism and how you kind of use it in terms of your mental health and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I love Buddhism. I'm not a Buddhist though. So um, my opinion on it and views on Buddhism, I just kind of take the parts that I find useful. Um, it's very, very practical. I'm interested in the philosophical side of it. So there's a lot of ritual within Buddhism and lots of, uh, lots of confusing rituals. I mean, you look at, there's the Tibetan sky burial where people pulverize bodies at, the, uh, um, at funerals. And then in Zen Buddhism, there's all the koans and the way, you know, what's the sound of one hand clapping and all of these um, some of them are quite famous, people have heard them before, but it can be quite confusing. I, I'm very interested in the practical advice that Buddhism offers, and I think in therapy a lot of the ideas um, are very similar, and some of the ideas from Buddhism will be very relevant to a lot of people, and you don't have to be a Buddhist. I found uh, that one of the key things for me was the idea of uh, mindfulness and meditation, which I use in my life to I, I guess pay attention to my mind and to see how busy it is. When you sit down, you sit down with yourself and you start to observe your mind, when you first do that, it's really insightful because it just doesn't stop. It's just relentless, constantly thinking thoughts. 
So becoming aware of that and exploring a bit of meditation has been very helpful for me. And I think if you want to learn about your mind, sitting down with it and observing it is a great place to start. So that in Buddhism, I think, is is very helpful. And there's heavy emphasis on meditation within Buddhism. And the other idea that I love in Buddhism is the idea of impermanence that everything we are experiencing will change, that life equals change. So whatever situation you find yourself in, it's not always going to be like that. And I think that's something that we can hold on to when we're in a dark place. Things will change. Um, And I think it's just remembering that everything we experience is impermanent. And also, bigger picture, that gives us quite a lot of power when we realize that, when we feel embarrassed or if we've made a mistake or something, we just need to zoom back and actually think, hang on, this is a slice of time. And maybe we've made a mistake, but actually it's so insignificant in the scale of things. And actually it is impermanent and it will change and whatever we're facing now will always change. And that's been very helpful. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. And yeah, like you say, impermanence is awesome. And I think for me, when I was in my addiction, I didn't really understand impermanence. And I thought if I look at all of them, all of these emotions and deal with all of this stuff I've been carrying around for years, I will feel it forever. Once I open that kind of floodgate, it will just be there and I'll be consumed by all of this pain and suffering. But it's more like Buddhism and mindfulness helped me learn that as well. Like you say, that idea of impermanence, things don't last forever. Every emotion sort of subsides. Um, and like you say, your suffering won't last forever. And looking at that big picture and that perspective. And then in terms of the mindfulness, one thing I liked is when we're in addiction, we often crave different things. And even when we're not in addiction, we still crave things like that extra slice of or that extra chocolate bar or whatever it may be. Um, or even not going for a run or not doing a challenge or any kind of negative thinking. And by reckoning, recognising those ideas as thoughts and not actually your reality helps you take a step back and go, OK, I'm just having a thought of drinking or using a drug. It doesn't mean I have to go and do it. A thought does not equal an action or decision. And the same maybe when you were climbing Mount Everest on your stairs, you had thoughts of this is getting a bit boring now. I just want to fuck this off. But you recognise them as thoughts and you go, no, I'm committing to this. I've got the you know, social um, accountability. This is happening. And your mind may want to give up, but you're just like, my mind is just thinking and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think that's it as well. You aren't your thoughts. Your thoughts are just, you have very little control over that. I think over time, you can change the amount of negative thoughts that you have by focusing on different things. And this is a, a cognitive behavioral therapy is something that I'm quite interested in. And it's, uh, it's accepting that we all have negative thoughts. We all have the potential to experience negative thoughts. Um, but it's what we do with that. We need to question them and blast them with logic. Uh, and you're right when you're on the stairs and you're like, this is, you know, this is lost. It's uh, appeal now. I'm 13 hours in and I'm like really, really struggling. I have to just blast it with logic and just question those thoughts and actually realize, detach from it a bit and realize that, yeah, these are just uh, these are just negative things that are cropping up in my head and I can address them and I can deal with them. So, yeah, you're right with that. Yeah. And like you say, that kind of um, self-talk, blasting it with logic, I mean, are there any of examples that come to mind about, yeah, times when you've blasted some negative thoughts of logic or times that have been challenging that you've used that kind of CBT to get over? 
I think it was really helpful when I first started experiencing anxiety. And that's when it really, really helped me. Just using logic to talk myself out of panic. And when I could feel that panic coming, just knowing, okay, hang on, just be logical. And just really attack back. Every time you're hit with a negative, you fight back with a positive. Um, and that's just something that when you see that it works, and when I started personally experiencing the, you know, the, um, that it, it did make a difference, then I knew that I could rely on it in the future. So that just starts to build uh, power. So when you need to question thoughts, you know that you've done it in the past and it works. So you can then use that in the future. Um, so that I think it was very helpful at the start for me when I was just finding my feet with all of um, ideas and I needed something that was very practical that could help with my anxiety. It was that that was one of the things that I really led into the logic and questioning every negative thing that comes into your mind, and even just questioning it. You don't have to uh, explore it too much, but just questioning it and seeing is that is that really what's going to happen? And yeah. the more you do it, the easier it becomes, and then eventually it becomes automatic. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember you talking about in the book as well about one of your friends um, and he was worried about getting on the tube and you told him to play Tetris because it used a different part of the game. And then a few weeks later, he sent you a screenshot of his Tetris high score and he was able to, like you say, use that very simple kind of idea to beat a fear that he had and use that different part of his brain. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's an interesting one because I think when we engage, especially this is like in the peak of panic or when you're in a very emotional state, if you use the logical part of your brain, it can help you to disengage from all of those intense emotions. And things like Tetris or chess or you know, getting involved in something that's well, mathematical and requires logic, if you sit with that logical side of things enough, it can just help you disengage that highly emotional part of the brain. Yeah. This, this study, it's in a Tim Ferriss book, um, I can't remember whereabouts. It's one of the ones. It's either Tools of Titans or um, what's the other one? Tribe Tri of Mentors. Yeah, yeah. So it's in one of those. There's a study that they did. People who experienced trauma, they exposed them to Tetris immediately afterwards, and they managed to figure out how actually that had a huge effect on how quickly they were able to deal with that event. I don't know how you. Something like that, it seems quite, quite difficult. But it, the science behind it is that you're getting into your logical part of the brain, which will help you um, from kind of snowballing all of those emotions out of control. Yeah, yeah. And like you say, um, you have those kind of different um, logical part and the emotional part. And this is something I actually teach in my uh, recovery program. Um, and it's part of dialectical behavioral therapy, which is similar to CBT. And it's this idea of you have the reasonable mind the emotional mind and the wise mind. And like you say, sometimes you're caught in that emotional mind. The emotions are building, you're building up those emotions. And by switching to that reasonable mind with something that's like cool, rational, it's task focused, balances it out and you can make more wise minded decisions and use logic to kind of question that. So I just think it's so fascinating. And like you say, it's so effective and there's really good studies in this kind of area, which is awesome. Yeah, and I think it is using it though as well. It's very easy to, to talk about it, but it's, uh, it's when you need to use it, that's when it's hard. Um, but that's why I think it's important to have a practical side to everything. And that's why I think having challenges and having things where you push yourself 
allows you to test the ideas in a controlled environment. So when you've learned a skill like this, when you know, okay, you can question logic and you use all these different things, then you want to push yourself out of your comfort zone. You want to deliberately find situations where you have to test it out. Yeah. And I think that, that really helps because then when you face something out of blue, you've got your unknown situation, you've already got this method that works. Yeah, and I think one thing that sort of comes to mind when I hear you say that is this idea of mindset that you talk about in the book. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about yeah the mindset and how that kind of works. So uh, in, in my book, I write about... Um, Growth mindset and fixed mindset, which is a concept that this uh, wonderful writer Carol Dweck has kind of taken and pushed out into the world. And there's uh, to say, to simplify it, there's there's two types of mindsets. There's a fixed one, which is very closed, very negative, and believes that whatever you're doing, the natural natural talent is the, the main factor. And if you're doing something new, then um, if you're not instantly good at it, then what's the point? And you can see this quite a lot in people when they're trying things that they can't do or that they're struggling with. The opposite is a growth mindset, which is all about focusing on the lessons. It actually doesn't matter how good you are at something. It's more about putting in the effort, learning the lessons. And if you stick with it enough, eventually you will become good at it. Um, And I found that that mindset was very helpful for me to deal with anxiety as well, because that fixed mindset, oh, my mind is broken, or, you know, I can't do that, and that kind of negativity. As soon as you lean into a growth mindset, whenever you encounter difficulties or if something goes wrong, you're always looking for the lesson, and the lesson is the key thing, and that can flip everything that happens to you into positive, because if if something bad happens, you're learning, and you can learn from that experience. So that's why growth mindset can be very powerful, uh, and I think it's it's helpful for a lot of people. And you notice it in children as well, a lot. Kids can have a really fixed mindset when it comes to learning something new. and uh, But not all of them, obviously, uh, but they can. So it's important to be able to teach younger minds what a growth mindset is. And that's why when you're in schools, you'll see tons of things taking off. It's becoming very popular uh, in the school space. Yeah. No, yeah, and that's really awesome. And like you say, that that sort of approaching situations with that open-mindedness, that sort of growth mindset, that this is kind of something I'm going to grow and become better by doing rather than something that's I'm just going to stick to my limiting beliefs and I'm not even going to try it. And I think, yeah, that's so powerful. Yeah, because we all have limiting beliefs. Uh, and I think when we attack them and break through them I think we can gain a lot of confidence off the back of that and the growth mindset is great because you can apply it to everything that you do when you're facing something new and you're struggling with it as if you bring in the elements of growth mindset and always look for the lesson and think of it as a bigger picture what's this teaching me that's going to make a massive difference and suddenly something that's really difficult becomes a challenge and actually it's teaching you yeah and I think if you can look at that, yeah, it makes, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. And one thing you spoke about in your book as well is the year of adversity and your comfort zone challenges. And you listed so many amazing challenges. But I, could, I just wonder if you could tell us a bit about, yeah, the year of adversity and how you went from that kind of um, 
being in anxiety to then learning all these cool tools and then to spend a year even more in anxiety how did that kind of go and it just seemed like an awesome journey year of adversity that's kind of a that's what i named it it was just it was basically off the back of all this anxiety and i got all of these tools in place and i just decided that i would test out this idea of stepping outside of my comfort zone and normally you know i think you need to test things out for long enough before you can see if it works so i, I decided that i'd do it for a year um and this was based on the stoics uh, concept of deliberately stepping outside of their comfort zones and practicing adversity so I decided I would just do this as much as possible and see if that could help me. So I started to create all of these challenges and I came up with a huge list. And uh, in my book, I talk about 43 of them, but actually there were so many more. And um, although it's called a year of adversity, I continue to do these challenges and it's more of a, an ongoing thing. But for the sake of the book and just generally, that was the significant year, the year of adversity, where I just went through as many of these challenges and tested out all of these ideas as much as possible. And that in itself was quite a, a crazy journey and I ended up doing all of these weird and wonderful things. Um, and some of them are ridiculous and some of them are very difficult um, and some of them are quite quick. But I think it's that mix things that made it so interesting um, for me anyway but these are all personal challenges things that push me and everyone's different so um, I encourage readers to kind of create their own challenges and use some of the things that I've done as inspiration and, and actually figure out things that would personally challenge them so it's about yeah having a list of things and then going out and using that to test out ideas yeah yeah and what were some that you tried that kind of really stuck out to you um so I think the one that, that's easy for people to get into as well is uh, the cold. I started exploring the cold. So I now have a cold shower every single day. And that was something that I really got into and started having ice baths and baths and swimming in the sea in the winter and doing all of these different things. I went ice swimming in Finland, which was a crazy experience. That was a lot of fun. Um, and exploring the cold and actually that, how do you deal with that pain? And again, there's a lot of meditation and uh, kind of where do you put your mind when you're experiencing discomfort? So the cold, the cold was one that I really enjoy exploring. Um, but yeah, there's been so many things from running a marathon to, well now I run lots of marathons, but that was the key. I'd never run one before. So I had a self-limiting belief. So breaking that down and forcing myself to, uh, take on a big challenge like that. That was a huge one. And then things like climbing mountains and learning how to solve the Rubik's Cube to test the growth mindset that I was just talking about. And um, I learned how to pick locks as well. That's kind of a bizarre one. But again, it's always paying attention to your mind when you're doing it. Um, and eating strange food, that's, a, that's one that people are always quite interested in. Um, because it's quite simple. You just eat something that you find disgusting but you pay attention to what your mind does because there's that mental resistance to it. Um, and there's loads of ways you can explore that, whether it's with insects or, I mean, I always recommend durian. That's my number one thing for people to try. It's this stinky fruit from uh, Southeast Asia and it's horrific. It smells like, I don't know, like feet sort of, and vomit. It's just, it's really horrible, but eating it for me is very difficult. So I have to really pay attention to what my mind is doing. 
Yeah. And if I can do it in that smaller context, then you know that translates into other areas of your life as well. Yeah. And what is some of that stuff that your mind's saying when you're about to kind of eat that sort of not very pleasant food? Well, it's just instantly, it's, it's very negative and defensive. It's like, I don't want to eat that. It looks and smells horrific. And it's just, you know, again, using that, countering that with logic and pushing back and just being like, it's, it's food. People do eat this. Um, it's not unhealthy. I'm not saying go and start eating things that, you know, are dangerous. This is that people like durians. Some people. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, it's, you know, you've got to question it and just explore it. And I think it's a very quick way to do that. And I think the more you do that in different directions, you can, uh, you can have a lot of fun. And yeah. uh, it's this it's short challenge. It's very small, but I think these ideas compound. Um, and yeah, and then you find you have all of these bizarre experiences. Some of them are bigger. You know, I find myself sort of hanging on the side of a mountain doing with lots of <laughs> air below you. And then there's other things where you're like just learning how to pronounce uh, um, different words in other languages and things like that. So it's yeah. been fun. Yeah. Yeah, and like you say, that idea of, yeah, sort of compounding, of building this up and using all of those pillars from your book um, about the Stoicism and the Buddhism to kind of build that mental resilience and sort of using all of these experiments and challenges, not only to have fun, because they really genuinely are fun. There are some on there that I just found amazing. And to actually kind of build that resilience. Like you say, it's actually practical, it's applicable, if that's a word. You can apply it to your life. And yeah. it's just amazing to be able to sort of have that practicality and fun and building on these foundations. Yeah, I think the practical part is, is the important thing because there's loads of books and loads of things where you can read about an idea, but until you test it out, it doesn't have any weight or any relevance to your life. You need to see how it works. And the ideas I write about are things that work for me and everyone's different and everyone's gonna have things that resonate with them. So it's important to explore that as well. So half, half of this whole thing is about figuring out what works for you. And then the other half is about getting out there, having fun and testing out these ideas. You might test out an idea when you're having a, a nice bath or doing a long run or Maybe you do the beat test is one of the ones I did. Like maybe you, you've got an idea, you're like, okay, I'm going to try and use this system to deal with it, and it might not work for you. And then you can scrap it because you've tried it, and then you just go on to the next thing. And it's just exploring what works personally. Um, but I just want to take a quick break just to let you know that I'm here to help you on your journey to getting your drink and drug use under control. So you can book a free assessment at insideaddiction.co.uk forward slash grow. Now back to the show for me yeah stoicism buddhism growth mindset cbt these are things that spoke to me and i found very helpful but that's you know we're all different so it's uh, it depends on who we are so i think it's important to test them out ourselves and that's why uh, challenges can be great for us yeah yeah, and I think one thing that really um, like summarises that and that a story that stuck out from the book was Feeding the Right Wolf. And I just wondered if you could tell our audience a bit about what Feeding the Right Wolf is. Yeah, I'm glad you like that one. That's, uh, my mum told me that, actually. It's, um, it's a Native American story. And basically the concept is there's this little kid and he's chatting to his granddad and he says, Granddad, what they're 
evil people, why there are bad people in the world. And the grand the grandfather says, well, inside of us we have two wolves, and one of them is bad and one of them is good, <clears throat> and they're constantly fighting to be the dominant wolf. And the kid asks, so which wolf wins? And then the grandpa says, well, the one you choose to feed. And I love that concept. I love that idea. The part of you that you feed is the part that grows. And I've personally experienced that. When I was in this anxiety hole in this very dark place, I was feeding all of that. And the more I focused on it, the worse it got. So actually looking at all of these ideas and positivity, leaning into that, feeding that wolf, and slowly that starts to build. And then before you know it, you've completely changed everything. And we've got, we've all got the capacity for either of those wolves to dominate us. And I think it's, uh, it's choosing wisely what we feed our minds and what we do with our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And like you say, that idea of kind of what are we choosing to listen to, what voice. And again, it comes back to that kind of mindfulness of managing our thoughts, what we're listening to, you know, beating our thoughts with logic and sort of paying attention to what we're feeding. Are we focusing on growth or are we focusing on being a fixed mindset? Um, and yeah, I just thought that story was so lovely and just summarises that kind of way of looking at the world, you know, do you live in a hostile universe or a friendly universe? And just that idea of, yeah, like you say, which wolf are you feeding? Are you feeding the positive one or the negative one? Um, and just working hard on that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a powerful story. And I think that the concept is, uh, well, I personally found that it works, feeding that positivity. And, you know, if you're always watching serial killer documentaries and eating pizza every day, then that's going to snowball. You're going to be feeding that aspect of, uh, of you that can go in one direction. I think, yeah, it's choosing which, which direction we're going to lean into. So yeah, positivity is the is the, the way forward. Yeah. Okay, perfect. And as we're coming to the end, was there anything else on your mind or anything else you thought about sharing with the audience? Um, I guess for me the main message really is just figuring out figuring out a system that works for you and testing it out. And we're all different, so I think we can you know, different ideas will speak to different people. And that's really it. It's just that exploration, exploration, having curiosity in the face of all of these things and just being open enough to try new things and put yourself out there and, and just see what happens and start saying yes to random things and you never know where you'll end up. It's like the Yes Man movie with Jim Carrey. Yeah. I really like that. Um, you just say yes to lots of things that come in and you just, you know, that can take you on quite a journey. So I think openness is important, but I also think practical experimentation and just getting out there and trying out ideas and building a personal philosophy, because that is something that at least will enable us to have a small, you know, even if it's just a small chance of dealing with adversity that comes out of the blue, I think that's, uh, that's hugely important. I know I would have found uh, coronavirus and everything that's happening in the world right now um, I wouldn't have been able to handle it in the past. And I think that my mindset was in such a bad way that I think for me it would have been very, very difficult. But having a system and having ways of questioning and um, questioning my negative assumptions about things and just having something in place to deal with life is 
massively valuable. So that's that's the main thing I think that uh, is important for for a lot of people. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. And where can people find out more about you, get your book, all that kind of awesome stuff? Okay, so the, my website is probably the best place because it's got links to everything. So that's benaldridge.com. And I'm very active on Instagram. That's my main social media channel. And that's at do things that challenge you. So there's lots of visuals of my project and quotes and philosophy. And that's probably the main place to find me, those two. And you can get my book on Amazon uh, and loads of other places, Waterstones, Foils, wherever. Um, there's the e-book and the audio book as well. So there's, yeah, it's, it's all over the place. Awesome, awesome. And uh, yeah, everyone, I recommend go buy Ben's book. It's awesome. Go do some challenges. Start to implement them in your life. Um, yeah, you won't regret it. Follow him on Instagram because it's an awesome place to see all of his fun stuff. And you can see the Mount Everest challenge and all that kind of excellent stuff. So yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And thanks, Ben, for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat to you. Perfect. Awesome.